from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Robert Atkinson on April 22, 2019. Bob is an internationally recognized expert on life story interviewing and personal myth-making. He's the author of nine books. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Pennsylvania and previously taught at the University of Southern Maine, where he was the first diversity scholar in the School of Education and Human Development and was co-founding faculty member of the Russell Scholars Program and the Religious Studies Minor. He is director of Story Commons, a research educational service unit for people who want to create their life story. Bob has just released his 50th anniversary edition of A Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, which is a memoir of the events in his life in 1969 that were life-changing. We talk about his memoir in the interview. I started the interview by asking Bob to describe Story Commons for us. Story Commons is um, an outgrowth of a project that I had been doing for about 25 or more years at the University of Southern Maine, which started out as the Center for the Study of Lives, then it became Life Story Center, and then Life Story Commons, and then after I became Professor Emeritus at USM. I kind of spun that off. It's still in the process of becoming a, a real finished site. It's kind of in beta testing status right now. But in addition to what I did with it for 25 years or more at the university, helping people tell their life stories as a whole, Story Commons is going to also be geared toward uh, helping people tell shorter pieces of their life story, in addition to being the full guidelines for a life story interview. There'll also be prompts or guidelines for telling short pieces like stories of compassion or stories of transformation or stories of courage or, you know, the whole is about two or three dozen of those shorter types of stories that will also have prompts and will be part of the website. And the idea is to, for people to use the guidelines to write. And I mean, eventually there'll be the, uh, there'll be three choices of either text, you know, writing the story out or audio or video. Those will be stored in the archive and the archive will be available to all people who want to uh, browse through and read stories of any type or complete life story. So you said that the Story Commons website is sort of in a construction beta mode. Can they use the site or do they go somewhere else in the meantime? Uh, what's the, the situation there? So right now there's a link to the earlier version of that on my personal website, which would be robertatkinson.net. So if anyone wants to go there and scroll down to the bottom, 
you'll see the link to Story Commons. And that's the old site, which does have an archive of life stories that can be browsed still now. So that's a an old version. The new one won't be ready for another um, probably a couple of months. It's really also designed to become a, a community for storytelling. Every uh, thing that has to do with personal storytelling. So there may also eventually be excerpts from previously published memoirs or autobiographies, as well as anyone else who wants to share their story or part of it on the site. And you said, Bob, that you have been doing this kind of thing for about 25 years. What got you started in this kind of investigation about life stories? Well, it's actually quite a lot longer than 25 years. I mean, that's how long I did it at USM, actually maybe closer to 30 years at USM. And before that, the way I got started really was doing my master's thesis in um, American folk culture at the Cooperstown graduate program in New York. I become interested in life stories there and decided to um, test my interest out and uh, get the experience for myself of what it's like to guide someone through their life story. So I was able to interview a uh, a Catskill Mountain farmer singer who was in his 80s at the time. And uh, that was just a remarkable experience for me to sit with him in his living room for quite a number of weekends. I would go down and interviewing him. And that just became a really powerful experience for him as well as for me. I mean, that, that got me for my doctoral dissertation, I did five life stories of elder tradition bearers, and that continued my interest even more. And then by the time I got to the University of Southern Maine, I had decided that that's where I really wanted to put my focus beyond the courses that I was teaching. And then I created the uh, Center for the Study of Lives at USM for the purpose of helping students and others to record people's life stories and and to preserve them. I'm speaking with Bob Atkinson, psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of Southern Maine and director of Story Commons. And we were just talking about the genesis of Story Commons. And Bob is also the author of nine books. His most recent book is entitled Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969. So this wouldn't be your first book of your life story. I imagine that this is one of several. I mean, this is definitely the first book of my life story and the only book that I've published of my life story. But the thing about, even though it happened in 1969 and and records the experiences I had during that year, It took me 30 or more years just to get it in the shape and the form that I was really comfortable with it. It wasn't the kind of memoir that was written right away and came out right away. This one that just came out now is actually the 50th anniversary edition, sort of like a second edition of the same memoir that came out 2008, only in hardcover, though then, now it's in paperback. But it took me 
whatever it was, um, 30 or 40 years to work on it and, and just to reflect deeply on the experiences that I had, what I went through, what they meant to me. And it took me that long, that many years to really find a way to express what I wanted to and to get it in the shape that I was comfortable uh, sharing it with others. So it, what, from 1969 to um, 2008 was almost 40 years. The other interesting thing about how that process kind of unfolded is that I went through this series of experiences, events, and, and everything that took me through the marker events of that year that we could talk more about later. And then I eventually got to a place where I felt as though those experiences that I was having kind of came to their own natural conclusion, or at least for then. And so I became clear to me then that I needed to go somewhere and write it up. At that time, when I realized that things had come to a completion of that part of my life, I was in Norway. And I knew that I had to stop what I was doing then and go somewhere and write it up. I had some choices to make there when I was in Norway to either go to one of the villages on the fjords that I had passed through or try to find a uh, cabin in the Swiss Alps where I had been before Norway. Well, my third choice was to go back to a, an old farmhouse that I knew of and that I knew was vacant, empty in my hometown in Long Island, right on the Long Island Sound. Turned out that I went back to my hometown and that farmhouse was still empty and available. So I rented that farmhouse and within the next three or four months, I had finished the first draft of what became my memoir. But that first draft was really, really rough. <laughs> Even though it kind of came flowing out of me initially, it was in very rough form. And it was actually also in verse form. I didn't necessarily plan it at the time to write an epic poem of my experiences, but that's the way it initially came out. So I took years and years after that, turning it into prose and then into third person and back to first person. And it was just a whole process, long process of, of finding the uh, format and the voice that I was comfortable with it to leave it in. So I'm speaking with Bob Atkinson, psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of South Maine and director of Dory Commons. And Bob is the author of nine books and his book entitled Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969 was recently re-released. So the title implies it was a memoir that was initiated in 1969, or rather it is a memoir of one year in your life. Can you clarify what, which, which one it is? Yeah, it's really both. And the year and the memoir starts in the summer of 1969. So it does cover a full year. And so that takes it from the summer of 69 to the spring of 70. And so it, it follows the four seasons, and that's kind of a convenient way for me to tell the particular story that it is, because um, summer is a full bloom, you know, full blossoms and everything coming to its fruition, and then fall is um, 
beginning of a, a decline and the winter is the long sleep or the long rest. And then spring is the reawakening period. So that, and that's kind of uh, in a symbolic way, part of the reason for choosing the cycle of the seasons. And it was actually by chance that it began in the summer of 1969, because that was when um, some particular life-changing events began to happen, not only for me, but for a lot of others. And the title, too, that I chose, Year of Living Deeply, that reflects another part of the memoir, actually all of the memoir, but one part in particular, be the fall more than some of the other seasons, because um, Living Deeply is kind of inspired by the work of, of Henry Thoreau when he spoke about going to the woods to live deeply. And it's that feeling and sense and reflectiveness and med- meditativeness that I think follows throughout all four seasons, but is most evident in the fall season when I'm actually living in a cabin in the woods myself for that period of time. I'm speaking with Bob Atkinson, psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of Southern Maine and director of Story Commons. And Bob is the author of nine books. And his book entitled Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, was recently released. And we're talking about that book. So what was significant about 1969 that it changed your life? There's really a number of sequence of experiences, events. So I guess because the memoir begins in summer of 1969, I'd have to say that it really did start with the moonwalk of 1969. The first, as most people know, or if they weren't around then, um, have heard about that being the first time that astronauts walked on the moon. And the thing about that that began the whole life-changing process for me was not just them stepping foot on the moon, but really the photographs that were sent back from the moon that showed the Earth floating in the heavens by itself with no boundaries. I mean, that was a whole new perspective that we hadn't seen of the Earth until that point. And so that was the beginning, I think, for a lot of people, including myself, of how how that perspective of the Earth really began transforming the way we not only see the Earth, but the way we see each other on the Earth. From that perspective, there were no man-made boundaries. There was nothing to separate us. That whole perspective really carried over to another marker event of that year, which was the Woodstock Festival. So right after the moonwalk, I noticed a headline in a local newspaper that said the Hudson River Sloop Clearwater sailing into Port Jeff Harbor, which happened to be right near where I was at the time. So I immediately remembered that the year before I had met Pete Seeger, who was the one who raised the money to build the replica of a 19th century sloop that sailed the Hudson River 100 years ago. When I saw that headline, I knew that I had to 
go to Port Jeff, see if Pete Seeger remembered me and if I could help out in any way. The way I met him was that he was um, someone who knew the Catskill Mountain farmer singer that I was doing a life story interview with the year before. And so I got to know Pete that way. And he mentioned then that he was raising money to build a replica of an old sloop to sail the Hudson River and to clean it up. And so when I saw that headline, I knew I wanted to get there, see him, and he, he remembered me. And he also invited me to become crew member on the maiden voyage of the Clearwater from New York City to, to Albany. And so that was a whole other experience that contributed to the transformational process that I had already begun with the moonwalk. And this kind of just was another step from there. I was actually the only non-singing crew member on that maiden voyage from New York to Albany. All the other crew members were singing friends of Pete Seeger's who he invited to be crew members. And then he invited me at the last minute because uh, we had talked about uh, maybe I could help him out with some research on the Hudson River in the days of the sloops and add to what they were already planning. They were creating a traveling exhibit to follow the sloop up and down the Hudson River. And one side of the traveling exhibit was about the environment, about the condition the river was in and how to clean it up and everything. And then he wanted the other side to be about the history of the river. So they invited me to come along sailing so that we could talk more about trying to get a grant to do the historic research to help build the exhibit for the other side of that traveling exhibit. And it was just a whole other experience, uh, kind of figuring out how I was going to fit in with these, what was already pretty much a close-knit singing family uh, of Pete's friends and then me. But that worked out well. The captain of the sloop was very helpful and inclusive and inviting and everything. And, and I learned a lot, not only from the sailing experience, but the community building experience of being part of the shipboard community sailing on the Hudson. So we did a whole series of sloop festivals from New York to Albany, stopping at all the little towns along the way. We happened to arrive in Albany the same weekend as Woodstock. So the captain of the Clearwater was an old friend of David Crosby, who was performing at Woodstock. And he told a couple of us, I want to go over to this festival and see my old friend David. After the Sloop Festival in Albany, we left, which was late Saturday night. So we didn't get there until really late Saturday night. And the, the music was still going. By that time, the fences were all broken down. And they weren't collecting any tickets anymore. So we just walked in and enjoyed the music Saturday night until it stopped for a few hours, let people sleep in their blankets and tents right in front of the stage, which was huge. And early the next morning, everybody was woken up by, I think it was Jefferson Airplane, started the Sunday morning concert. That was the day when uh, the rains came and uh, a lot of the place got muddy and rainy and everything. But it was just remarkable how much everybody helped everybody else through all of the um, the mud and the rain and the, and the sun. Uh, it was just an experience of oneness, really, being in that huge momentary community that 
sprung up at the festival. So that was another key marker event for me and 400,000 others that were there for that. And then by that time, I realized that it was not only time for me to get busy on what I had come to sail on the Clearwater for, but to, you know, which was to do some research and try to get the grant, which we did. We got a grant from the New York State Council on the Arts, and I did the research. I interviewed a number of family members of old sloop captains who still had a lot of memories and historic photographs and everything else that we used for the traveling exhibit. But by that time, I was ready to retreat on my own a bit. And so I found this cabin in the woods and walking distance from the river. That fall was when I spent a lot of time in the woods learning from nature around me. At the same time, that was when I really got more seriously into my own study of the world's religions. One of the sloop singers that I sailed with was Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and he was in New York one weekend that fall doing his touring there, and he had a few days off. So I went to New York to see him, and he had a few days off after that, and he said he wanted to sail on the Clearwater again and also see if he could see his old friend Arlo Guthrie. So we ended up doing both. I mean, all of this is in much more detail in the memoir. I had my car, an old VW bug that um, Jack and his family drove up with me in my car to, to Arlo's farm in the Brookshires. And we got there to Arlo's farm about around midnight. Arlo and his friend John and Jack just started swapping songs in the living room there for the, the rest of the night. Same kind of song swapping that went on on the sloop below decks many of the nights that we were sailing. Being able to um, participate with um, people like that was another contributing factor, you know, to my own uh, transformative experience that was going, that, that was well along its way at that time. From that fall, um, I couldn't stay in the cabin through the winter because it wasn't heated, so I had to move out. I ended up finding a cell in a nearby Franciscan monastery where I given free reign to live there, stay as long as I wanted, and come and go as I wanted, and also had the opportunity to uh, meet and interact with many of the friars who were living in the monastery as well. So that was a whole other very deep, meaningful learning experience by sharing that space with the, with the friars in the monastery and learning from them about what their tradition was about, which was all new to me. I continued my study of the world's religions in a monastery, which was quite fitting. I'm speaking with Bob Atkinson, psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of Southern Maine and director of Story Commons. And Bob is the author of nine books. And his book entitled Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, was recently released. And Bob was describing those events in his life at that time that were really were life-changing for him. And as he said, he describes it as a year of living deeply. Bob, what do you hope the reader will learn or gain 
from reading your memoir of 1969? Yeah, that's a really good one. And important now for this 50th anniversary edition, because the other really transformative part for me during all of this was meeting Joseph Campbell and having him, as well as Pete Seeger, become mentors to me during this time. And so meeting Joseph Campbell was an experience that really helped facilitate my learning about the pattern that I was living at the time in my life. And so what I really want people to um, get from this is the sense of the universality of certain kinds of life experiences that we all not only can, but do have in our lives. I mean, for me, on the personal level, the way in which my consciousness of the world evolved, and that was because I not only found myself in the right place at the right time with all of these experiences that I just described, but also found what would have to be the perfect mentor to be able to explain it all to me in a way that made it make sense to me. And so when I met Joseph Campbell, which was again by chance, I mean, nothing really is by chance. It's all the way we are guided, really, when we're on a path to discovering who we really are at our deepest nature. Again, when I was living in the cabin in the woods, I just decided randomly to go down to the city one night. So I was walking along 8th Street in Greenwich Village, and a book in a bookstore window drew my attention. I went inside the bookstore. I found the book. I picked it up and started reading it. I was becoming really enthralled by what I was reading. And then I glanced up from reading it for a moment to take a quick look at a bulletin board, which was right next to me where I was standing reading the book. And on the bulletin board was a poster announcing a talk by Joseph Campbell, whose book I was reading at that moment. And the talk was that night, only a couple of blocks away from the bookstore. So I realized right away that this is something I can't pass up. I walked right over to Cooper Union, which is only a couple of blocks away in, in Greenwich Village. And I got there just in time to sit down in the front. And it was a huge hall. I didn't even realize that it was filling up around me at the time. But when Joseph Campbell started speaking and talking about his topic, that was when I realized that I was living that mythic pattern that he was describing. And he was comparing it to what we can live internally in our mind as well as externally. That was the way in which the universal pattern, what he called the monomyth or the myth of the journey of the hero, he described step by step and motif by motif and archetype by archetype, how it unfolds. And at the time I was in the middle of it and everything he said made complete sense because I could relate it and connect it to what I had just been living. I had no idea at that time that where I would go from there would be what he also talked about, a pattern of 
separation, initiation, and return. And I was still in the initiation phase of it. And I had no idea at that time whether I would have a return or what it would be like. So I went up after his talk. I told him how much what he said meant to me because I was living it. And he understood immediately and we connected. And I asked him if we could talk some more some other time and ended up visiting him a couple of times in his Greenwich Village home where he was able to talk to me in more depth about the mythic pattern and everything. All of that was possible because I chose that particular day to go in the city and I saw that particular book in the bookstore window, went inside, saw the the flyer and went on from there. But that's what I want people to get out of this memoir. It's my representation of a universal, timeless, archetypal experience. And I have since written about this in some of my other books, which I refer to as personal myth-making. And so I also refer to my memoir as my personal myth because it follows that pattern. And that, that's really what I hope people will get out of it, to, to be able to see that it's part of our nature to want to set out on a quest to understand reality, which leads us to a search for truth, which begins a process of spiritual discernment and development, which directs us toward being able to see all things with the eye of love, the eye of justice, the eye of unity, until finally we're able to see all things with the eye of oneness and live with a consciousness of oneness. And I think that's why it's important for young people, especially today, and everyone to know that we're all on this path of conscious evolution, what the pattern consists of and what it leads us to. I think people will be able to get a sense of that by following my experiences. And also, I've tried to make it easier for people to identify and write their own personal myth, which is really a their quest for truth and their story of their spiritual development, wherever it might lead them. I've tried to make that as easy as possible by writing a chapter about that in one of my earlier books. On my website now, if anyone is interested in what that pattern is about and how to connect your own life experience to that universal timeless pattern, if you go to my website, again, robertatkinson.net, by signing in, you can receive a free short ebook on personal myth-making that will help to guide you through the process of connecting your own life experience to those ageless, timeless experiences that we all have in some way. So that, that, that's really what I hope people get out of it. it. It's a kind of timeless memoir, and I think it's really crucial for youth and everyone else today to be open to and undertake their own call to adventure. It's really crucial in every age and always will be, but perhaps even a bit more right now when it's important to be able to discern truth from falsehood. The opposing views that we're experiencing now, they seem even more pronounced, but that makes it even more important to seek our own understanding of reality and to find that truth that fits the evolutionary impulse of our time. I'm speaking with psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of South Maine, Bob Atkinson. 
and he's also the director of Story Commons, which is a facility in which to help people to develop their own memoirs. And Bob is the author of nine books, and his book entitled Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, was recently released, and we've been talking about that book for this interview. Bob, do you have an excerpt you'd like to share from the memoir? Yeah, sure. It's a little hard to pick one topic. Let me start with the preface excerpt, because this really gives a sense of the interconnectedness of all things in our lives. And this is from the preface to the 50th anniversary edition. And it just gives, as I said, a better sense of how I realized in what a profound way how all the experiences that I write about are tied together. So this is from that preface to the 50th anniversary edition. This series of events and experiences 50 years ago when so much else was changing everywhere so quickly, was a perfect alignment of forces, circumstances, and opportunities that all added up to become the foundation and framework for the rest of my life. I've pretty much always been aware of this, but can always use more time to fully digest, integrate, and appreciate this fact. How could I ever have predicted that a decision I made about a master's thesis topic in a program I came to only after a quick cross-country trip from another master's program that wasn't quite right for me, would have led to a chance meeting with Pete Seeger, who not only became a mentor, but who invited me to sail on the maiden voyage of the Sloop Clearwater up the Hudson River, which put me in the right place at the right time to attend Woodstock. There's a question mark after that. And how could I ever have imagined that that fall I would have lived in a cabin in the woods by the river where I would be able to reflect deeply on the meaning of nature unfolding around me and that a random visit to the city one night would have led to another chance meeting, this time with Joseph Campbell, who became the other mentor I needed just then to help me make sense of all that I was living at that time. Or... How could I have ever known that not being able to stay the winter in the cabin would have led me to a nearby Franciscan monastery where I was given a cell of my own to live in, where I learned from the friars about a sacred tradition all new to me. And I could have never predicted then that from there I'd return to the college I had graduated from three years earlier to teach a course all of this had been preparing me for, and which completed a transformative cycle in my life I could have never imagined. So that's just a sense of how it all fit together from the perspective of kind of looking back on it over many, many years, reflecting deeply. The other way the title becomes key is that I not only lived the experiences deeply, I've reflected very deeply on them for many years since then, too. Did you want to share another excerpt, Bob? Yeah. So that summer after the moonwalk, I was living in eastern Long Island at the time, and I took a day to go out to Montauk Point, just again to enjoy nature and to reflect on 
what it was that was going on around me when I was there. So this is a meditative part of my experience at Montauk Point. The sea spray sparkled, gem-like, animating the world around me. Gulls with spread wings plunged into the bountiful waters and emerged with bits of nourishment. Rocks, some huddled together, some off on their own, stood firm against the onrushing tide. The waves washed ashore, singing of an eternal journey. The cliffs rising overhead, sighted ships and birds, all the while catching the words of the beachcombers. Steadfast, they watched the unveiling of the ever-changing sea beauty. Theirs was a vision of universal order. And again, my inner voice spoke. Let the day go by with no thought of time. What clock can confine eternity? Does the flower growing in the sun check a timepiece every hour? Time is the matron of evolution. Its womb is the moment. Only the living moment reveals the wonder of eternity. Come, let us go forth together, catching each moment as if it were a lifetime. There never was a moment more real than this one. Bob, thank you so much for sharing your memoir, Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Robert Atkinson, author of A Year of Living Deeply, a memoir of 1969, which recounts the significant events in Bob's life during the year of 1969 that were life-changing for him. You can visit Bob's website, robertatkinson.net, to get an understanding of the universal patterns he's exemplifying in his memoir. You can find this interview and other interviews on abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
You said my desire would be Everyone, I see you shine. I see you shine. 
I am a perfect circle. You are a perfect circle. Love is a perfect circle. Life is a perfect circle. And God is a perfect circle. Thank you. 
sometimes what you're searching for is hidden in the broad daylight seeds of hope seeds of peace This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.